I want to invite everybody to just begin um, by sharing a bit about themselves. I'll say that I'm Asia Freeman, Artistic Director of Bunnell Street Art Center and a long-term visitor to this land called Duget by the Denaina and Kajimak by the Supiak people. I appreciate the long-term past and present stewardship of this land, the waters, the people and animals of this place. Thank you for letting me walk on your land. In today's um, rising social justice movement, um, a lot of people are using pandemic time to basically explore anti-racism training and look deeper at the American story, the American colonial project. Today's conversation is about overcoming racism and Skywalker Payne together with Benell staff and board members will discuss um, her ideas and her new toolkit. I'd like to begin by just inviting Skywalker to um, provide a little self-introduction. Um, and um, then we'll move around the circle. Thank you. I'm Skywalker Payne, and I am the founder of um, Vibrant Velvet Voice Productions, LLC. And this year, as things happen, the pandemic and the protests were able to combine for me to see exactly how I can be of service to people. And as a storyteller, I have seen the power of the story circle and how it can impact people, promote change, and promote understanding. And that is how the idea for races, race, a concept explored in story circle was conceived. And we'll be talking more about it, but being here, black person in Homer, I thought this is a good way for me to contribute. And after doing the circles, I learned so much and it's really grown in terms of what I can offer people. Thank you, Sky. I just wanna move around the circle and um, invite everybody else to introduce themselves. Would you share uh, Brianna Lee? You're muted, dear. There we go. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. Um, my name is Brianna Lee. I am the gallery assistant at Bunnell Street Art Center. Um, I also work seasonally at Twitter Creek Gardens. Um, before that, I spent nine years at Two Sisters Bakery, and I've also taught uh, young children art classes. I was born and raised in South Minneapolis. And I first came to Homer because I was invited by a family artist, um, Potter friend, um, to come and work and be her assistant. And I actually received a postcard in the mail from her um, that said, you know, would you like to come up and live with me? And, you know, I'll teach you how to make pottery and learn how to be an artist and chop wood and haul water. And as a city girl, I was really excited and intrigued by this place and so I accepted um, and then I um, did receive my um, degree in fine arts in St. Paul Minnesota and I while I was living there um, you know I was just spending summers in Homer um, I finished college and in my early 20s I endured a series of some traumatic events um, loss of a loved one um, dealing with addiction um, and that is a time in my life where I decided to 
leave, come up here and try to create a healthy and sustainable lifestyle for myself. And so now I've been here 12 years and I'm raising a, a five-year-old daughter who is now in kindergarten. So thanks again for having me today. Thank you for joining us. Mm -hmm. So continuing, um, we'll uh, welcome some board members of Benel, um, Arjent Kvasnikov. Hello, I'm Arjun Kwasnikov. I'm a member of Benel's board. I'm currently the board president. Um, I'm a, also an artist and I am from Benelchik. I was born in Homer, so this is all like my little hometown. Um, I'm a part of the Benelchik tribe, which is um, a Denina origin tribe, and I wouldn't consider myself to be a person of color, but I like to use the phrase that I just invented a person of tint. <laughs> and I, I think, um, and kind of what brings me here is just to talk a little bit more about um, some of the ideas that, that we had discussed in our own uh, session with, with Sky and Benel. So um, thank you for having me. Thank you, Arjun. And then finally, um, David Pettibone, also on Vanell's board. Welcome, David. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, it's a pleasure to, to talk today with, with Skywalker, and um, I love the, the program that she's starting. Um, born and raised in Phoenix, Arizona, in sort of the suburbs, and um, I uh, went to a high school that had a diversity program. They would bring in um, students from the surrounding neighborhoods um, to create sort of a, a certain percentage of diversity in the, within the student body. Um, uh, the neighborhood I grew up in was, was relatively well off. Um, and growing up, I was sort of organically learned this bubble. Um, I'm sorry, this, um, it was a bubble, but this, this idea that, um, that the Civil War was fought, that the good guys won, that racism may still exist, but it was on the outskirts and that it had nothing to do with me. Uh, and that if, if you, there's this idea of the American dream and if we all work uh, work hard, we can achieve the American dream. It doesn't matter what we look like. Um, and then I uh, went to college um, and I, through the, the wonderful friends that I met and the experiences that I had and the things that I saw, um, I, it, it, was a, it was an organic process, um, but I started to realize that it, this was just a narrative bubble and it was um, something that that a certain that certain population is fed and um, throughout the years my outlook on my identity and my role within this has has um, has changed and um, Skywalker and what she's working on has has um, help is helping to progress this change for um, for me and people that that look like me so thank you Thank you, David. And I, I just want to thank um, David and Arjun for joining us from Benel's board and also um, Brianna Lee um, on our staff. And I too am on Benel's staff. I want to say that two weeks ago, or approximately maybe three, we all went through this um, really 
very interesting story circle that that Skywalker offered us. And I, before we jump into that and what that means, I just want to go back um, around the circle to Brianna Lee, if you wouldn't mind beginning and talking just briefly about how the um, current social justice movement is impacting you personally and in what ways you felt engaged or not engaged. Yeah, um, it's, I would say it's deeply affecting me. Um, on all levels, um, emotional, physical. Um, and it, to me, it doesn't just feel like a movement. It feels like we're in a crisis. Um, and having a young daughter, you know, like that's, that is where a lot of my focus is, is like children and how are we going to um, heal from what's happening? Because it is so deeply disturbing. Um, and something that's really affecting me, not only just like what we're seeing every day in the news, um, you know, another police shooting, murders, all this stuff. It's, <clears throat> it's what, what's deeply disturbing is those that just choose to, you know, just look away or um, really don't have a response to what's happening. And, and I guess I am pointing fingers to the white community um, because, you know, we, as a white person, we have that luxury to either engage or not engage and we have a choice. And um, it's deeply disturbing that in our, in, in my community and my surroundings, I know people who are either affected or just choosing to not even, you know, have it affect their their mood and you know i wake up every day and i'm i'm really disturbed and i and i'm trying to find the ways that i can be of um uh you know productive to what's happening and, and assist and do my part um so yeah i can yeah. feel your grief and um share that with you and just want to thank you as a colleague for your courage you know in like choosing to um, face this issue and encouraging us to walk into it to be open and to be rigorous in our study right now. Thank you. Um, Argent and, and David, I just want to invite you to um, chime in with um, any feelings um, or concerns that have been evoked or um, exposed by the social justice crisis that we're in today. David, would you like to go first? I, I think you have a pretty um, compelling uh, personal story that I think should be heard. Um, sure, thank, thank you, Arjun. Um, so I, I think Arjun's referring to uh, my brother who uh, was uh, kidnapped by the, the federal authorities in Portland. Um, he's currently in a lawsuit um, uh, suing the Trump administration. Um, so that's, that's directly affected uh, my immediate family. Um, uh, I, it's just incredible, um, just like Bree was saying, just uh, opening the, the news in the morning, it's just in, in, incredible where we have gone in such a short amount of time. And it just shows you that it was actually there um, really all along and it's being brought out uh, now there is this this movement and it it 
can be a revolution um, if we all get on board, if, if we continue this momentum. And um, with the elections coming up, you know, if, if the one side uh, wins, then of course we will see more authoritarian oppression against um, people who choose to speak their voice. Um, and if the other side wins, we run the risk of sort of this movement deflating like a, like a tire with a, a slow leak. So I, I think we have to be careful. And I think we all play these roles um, in this and we all need to be um, uh, direct and active. And, and my, one of my obvious roles is the role of uh, a white male. And um, I need to, uh, as a white male, there have been stages in my life and this um, session with Skywalker was, was an example where um, I need to be able to step outside of my skin and empathize with people who don't look like me because I did grow up in a bubble and all of us have grown, in, grown up in a bubble. And, and it's almost um, uh, unnatural to step outside of your skin and listen to other people tell you that the reality that you grew up in is not fair and that you were receiving um, uh, benefits because of the color of your skin, but but um, we're at a, a crossroads where we need to be able to face that, and we need to be able to uh, listen to what people who don't look like us are saying, and try and empathize with them, and try and as best we can um, stand in their shoes and um, do more than than post on Facebook once in a while about what's bothering us. Thank you, David. And, and just to, um, you know, inform those of us um, who are tuned in, could you just briefly summarize what happened with your brother when he was kidnapped? Can you explain? Some people are unaware of that. Sure. He, he was in Portland at uh, a BLM protest and he was, there were rumors going on that uh, there were unmarked vans um, uh, pulling people uh, on the outskirts of the protest, pulling people and um, driving driving off with them, pulling them into these vans and driving off. And uh, my brother was walking home um, completely within his rights of protesting, and he was walking home, and, uh, and that's exactly what happened. A van pulled up. It was him and a friend of his, um, and he, he, his friend fled, and he fled, and there was somebody in pursuit, uh, a bunch of guys in military, um, like camo, uh, uh, apparently with no no identify identification on their suits, uh, got out of the van and chased him. He realized pretty quickly that he had uh, there was really no way to escape, so he. This is hard. One second. Yeah. It's really terrifying. Well, this is surprising to me that I haven't seen anything about this type of thing in, in, I, in the news. Really? Brian season. I have not seen any, heard any mention of this kind of activity. And mm -hmm. this should be major headlines. Mm-hmm. 
Continue, David. So it's it's been in the headlines quite a bit. Um, you know, well, at least my, my brother's been sharing it with me. Um, thank you, Skywalker. And and just for the record, I I um I cry at the drop of a pin. So so just know that. Um, but um, Hugh, so he was picked up and taken um to a a cell that ended up being in the federal courthouse. He didn't know where he was, and he didn't know who these people were that picked him up. He was worried that it was um, maybe a, a sect of the extreme right. Um, and, you know, that fear was um, recently with this, this kid who went to the protest and killed two protesters. That fear is, is legitimate. Um, he, he was released without, being, without having charges pressed. Um, he uh, has only been to two, as far as I know, two um, protests since. Uh, and, and a lot of it's because, because he's been scared. Sure. That's, has he, con I know you said he's suing them, but has he also contacted the ACLU in Oregon? Yes. Um, act actually, it's through them that he's, okay. he's, he's doing this. Great. I worked for the ACLU when I was in Iowa. So this is something I, I know that they are really busy, but this needs to be addressed by them. Yeah, it does. And it, you know, um, I spoke to him recently and he is frustrated that the media um, keeps, re keeps wanting him to tell his story. And certainly telling his story is important, but he, he expressed that so much, um, has happened since, including the 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 shoot, you know, the shooting of, of Jacob Blake and the the new shootings. Um, he's he feels like the energy needs to be refocused. Um, you know, he has something to say, but the energy needs to be refocused on what the true uh, movement is right now. Yeah, that's a really powerful personal testimony and um <clears throat> i don't know if anybody else <laughs> could could top that but it really speaks to you know how the current crisis is impacting us individually in a whole range of ways from those who are deeply impacted to those who are unaware of these kinds of movements that are happening and we have um others who've joined us i want to invite anybody else present if they wish to share um how you know any words about how and feelings about how the current social justice movement is impacting you please feel free to speak up if i can jump in i just want to thank david for sharing that because I, I know it's a little bit of a uh, emotional thing to bring up and it's so confusing because things change so much but it's so important to know that that's a little tiny example of how um people can be affected indirectly in so many ways um just through <clears throat> people's powerful emotions that they get worked up about this uh institutional differences and even if they perceive that they exist or not and that's one of the things that people are battling and when we talk about racism in particular i apologize i live by an airport there's going to be planes it's nice today um, <clears throat> that 
it's all about perception and your ability to empathize. And for people that can't see it or choose not to believe it exists, it's a bit like having to deal with different sets of reality. And those differences are what is the denominator in kind of all of these issues and events. And it was really interesting to me. I read a article on um, courts a few days ago about um, a study that examined uh, diversity initiatives in the workplace in some of the countries. Um, I think they sampled mostly large companies, Fortune 500s, but I think they did sample a lot of small businesses as well about uh, diversity initiatives and addressing workplace um, uh, incidents of discrimination and um, just kind of uh, negative work environments regarding race and culture. And it found that of the respondents who said that they were less likely to participate voluntarily in those programs, the number one reason that they gave was it wasn't worth their time and their jobs that wasn't part of their description or their or their paycheck more or less and in that those respondents happen to be uh, more likely to be white men and so it was really interesting to me that the perception of who is valuing um, diversity as essential is completely different. I, it's, it's almost like it's not white people that are the problem in a broad sense. It's this economy that's been built around this made up white identity, um, which is like a, a conglomeration of multiple ethnicities over time. And that's kind of what we have to focus on and why it's so important to look to um, leadership and building up from the bottom to change what that economy means. And if that becomes a part of, of job descriptions, if it becomes a part of what your take-home pay actually is, if, if people are starting to assign value to it other than you should just because it makes you a good person, um, I think it sounds a little bit uh, contrary, but I think that might um, play a role. And so it, it is why it is so important to speak out and to also look at your institutions for change because you need to completely change everyone's concept of value. And you just touched on why the circles are important and why I'm doing them and it gets clearer and clearer every day. First, I wanna say this is nothing new. It's not a crisis, other than the fact, yes, for white people, it is a crisis because you were unaware. This country has been moving to this point for over 40 years. When I was in Austin, Texas, working with a group of women doing protests, we were seeing, and it was a celebration of uh, 400 years of Christopher Columbus, and there was the counter celebration by the people of color. And there were the war protests. 
And I was saying then, and not only me, many people of this country is moving towards a police state. And now it's here. But I know there's some police who are not going around shooting black people in the back and never would. I know that there are ignorant women here in Homer who I encounter where I work in assisted living still, who watch Fox News every day and have all kinds of crazy ideas. But I can talk to this woman and we interact. And our, to a little, and we've been interacting more and more. The problem is, and David, I really appreciated what you said about the two options. Hopefully, either way, it's work. But it's real easy, and the reason we're here is because, like you said, when people who are supposedly liberal and progressive come in, a lot of other people lay back. It's taken care of. My husband and I, and for people who are not listening, my husband is white. Before President Obama was elected, and I was working for the ACLU, we, we would get into arguments about racism in America because I told him it still existed. Once President Obama, when he started running, that was when my husband started to see from comments, from the way people respond. And he's become a real warrior against um, people with prejudiced ideas and racism, even in his own family. And that's where we've come to now. We, People have to recognize whatever happens, this country has got to resolve and deal with the racist ideas. And the only, there's systemic things, there's been systemic. We have rules, we have laws. Those things are constantly challenged. But when you get people interacting, you get people sitting down talking and looking, then you take it step by step by step. And if you've looked at my page, you'll see how I've already expanded steps that can be done. Because it's a constant thing we're going to need to do. It's a constant work. That's why what I've started is a racist story circle multimedia magazine subscription, which will be a way for people to get education, to have communication, to um, express all concepts, stories, art. And this is just one thing that I'm doing in addition to the circles. The main thing anybody can do now, Brianna Lee, is get all of your friends to vote <laughs> and to vote right. I can't talk to a lot of people, I can't do that, but that to me right now is the vital thing for anybody and for white black people too and even us we have to deal with it too some of black they're black crazy people too who don't see the cause of why people are getting killed right now and it's this is beyond i mean if you even peripherally seeing any of the headlines from the recent convention it's like the divisions have gotten very deadly in this country and I believe, in fact, I know that there are some people who think there can be a civil war. No, 
you cannot fight the biggest military government in the world. But there can continue to be these little constant things going on unless we do like you said, Arjar. We start off with the story circles in businesses, in police departments. Who, and you start off saying, who wants to do this? Who wants to do this? You can't force it. Those who want to do it will start to impact those who don't. Because I've seen from my, even my own self when I started this, I had an idea. Your feedback pretty much confirmed what I had in my head of the effects. But then I also saw all these possibilities. And it's actually exciting for me because finally we are dealing nationally with the conversation that never happened because it's beyond marching for rights. We have all the rights on law now. It's the law. What we are dealing with, and people have to admit it, we're dealing with lawbreakers. And the reason this exists is because too many of us have, like you said, David, fallen into, oh, everything is all right. And sadly, that is partly the problems of some of the leadership who are supposed to be progressive and liberal. So it's up to people now. It's really up to us in the communities, in your businesses, uh, in your organizations. There's plenty of ways. I'm not the only person doing this type of work. But if people, we start off with the people who want to learn. And then you move step by step. And Sky, could you just... Um orient us in a, in a couple minutes to what the story circle is. What is, describe this experience that you shared with Benel staff and board. Okay. The story circle, the basic races story circle is an online two hour Zoom, I call it an event, but it's in which no more than 10 people in an organization or a club or business, but 10 people who know each other and work together in some capacity or interact together in some capacity come together. And I do a pre-circle questionnaire based on the group and what I, ideas, there's certain things that will stay the same, but the questionnaire informs how I will facilitate the circle. And I act, and I describe myself as a story healing facilitator. My job is to facilitate participants to share their stories based on ideas or information or thoughts they got from doing the initial questionnaire. And then also after I tell some stories, because the way a story circle works is someone starts telling a story and that's opening a door then someone else is going to tell a story it's a magic it's the essence of us as humans and the other reason they're really important is because this type of interaction has kind of 
gotten away with all the technology. But the thing that's good about these being Zoom events is that at some point, I'm, I foresee working with some people who won't want their faces seen. Because if you start dealing with it, and some people haven't dealt with it, there can be emotions, as we know. And some people might not want to be seen. Some people might not want to say anything. The main thing is they want to listen. They want to learn. And the story, basic story circle is really the basic for small groups, organizations. But for larger groups, I can offer a series of circles based on Brian and I, my husband were talking about, he says I should go talk to the NFL. And he was explaining how there's actually a racial hierarchy in the positions people play. I said, well, that's really interesting. And so there's all these possibilities for any group to come together. And after the story circle, or if they want to, like I said, you can do a series, you can do courses. I'm going to be offering the course on Stamped. I actually have the book. This is the book. This is Stamped Racism, Anti-Racism, and You. And this is written by Jason Reynolds and Ibram Kendi. Ibram Kendi is the writer of the original book, which is almost 600 pages. And I'm reading it. And it's dense. It's really good. This book, though, is oriented towards people who are not historic scholars, but who want to get information, who want to know what to do and how to help. And they have a curriculum. So it's an easy course, which I want to set up and offer. And I'll be doing, offering the course in January. But the magazine will be launching the first issue. It's a multimedia magazine. And it'll be um, launching on October 12th. That's great. So those are, so the basic thing if people in terms of locally, I'm really encouraging people to continue the conversation through a subscription. And right now, I'm even, I have a I, ideal subscription would be $25. Um, and that's a two-year subscription with discounts for classes. But I also have, and I also have a other, a higher, if people want to contribute. This is not, this is a business, so it's not, I'm not asking people for donations. <laughs> and then I also have a pay what you can option for people who, who may not be able to afford a subscription right now, but who want to contribute and be on the list and to be in the loop. Because after October 12th, people, I will just be dealing with people who have expressed really interest. Because it, as Arjun was saying, empathy, empathy is important. But from empathy, the economics is important. And for me, for this, this, this work, <laughs> I'm just starting. And so people who are, want to continue, I said, say, yeah, I need support in this work, but I'm not asking for a donation. I'm going to give you something for your support. And we grow together. And so that's how I feel like 
anyone can move forward. We can all move forward. And if you, you know, if it doesn't have to be anybody, there's different people doing different things. But if you have the empathy, then there's the economics. Finally, there's the actions, which may act, you know, come to a point, but we hope that they won't. And then there's, you know, and there's always the voting right now. And talking, being able to talk to the people if you can. But I understand that sometimes it's hard for family members to talk now. Yeah. Or some are talking even if they're in opposition. And so there's hope. I'm, I, you know, I'm hopeful and I'm worthy on hope. I know this is a change that was coming. In fact, it's probably overdue because you cannot continue on a path of pretending everything is okay when you've never dealt with the issue. And the United States has never dealt with this issue fully. Part of the problem is still that the fact that people can still grow up in neighborhoods and not interact with any person of color or tent. So in our story circle gathering, we shared some experiences and I would like to turn back to what that was like and invite, um, if anyone will, um, sharing of a story um, that you offered in the story circle training that we had as um, Benel staff and board. And then reflections that might've come out of that in terms of what um, challenged surprised or moved you in participating. Um, Brianna Lee, could, could we turn back to you um, and perhaps a, a story that, that you shared? Yeah, so Sky asked us to reflect on um, memorable experiences we've had with Black people in our lives. Um, and I shared a story um, from about, I, I think I was in seventh grade, um, and, you know, the school systems, as I grew up, you know, elementary school was just so wonderful. And then all of a sudden we go to um, junior high and it was like people were starting to just pull apart from each other. And there was tension and, and segregation happening. And I shared a story about walking down the hallway and um, a, a, a black woman who I, I didn't know, she would, every day we'd pass each other in the hall and she would always... Um, call me a white bitch and one day she pushed me down and um, we had this like mediation um, with a teacher and we both sat in this room together uh, looking at each other and um, we both cried and uh, we the teacher wanted us to explain what was happening why were we fighting or what and and it was like neither of us knew why but somewhere deep in my body, I, I understood this tension and this anger. And um, I understood then like in a really real moment that there was something really different about being white and like, and being black and it, and it kind of shook me to the core. And um, I don't know, we were never taught anything more about how to deal with that as kids. And, and, you know, this is stuff that I, I really passionately feel like we need to be teaching this to our youngest children in, in kindergarten about what racism is. Why are people, you know, born into, you know, feeling such tension against each other? And it's, you know, nobody ever really taught us what to do with that. So 
that was kind of the story I shared. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of your experience in sharing it in story circle with Sky and the rest of us, um, was there anything transformative about doing that, about bringing up a, a painful? Yeah. I mean, it made you go back in your, in your memories and like that one popped up for me and I never probably would have thought of that um, moment if she hadn't asked us to like go back and really think about these moments in time. And um so that surface, so I, I think that's important to reflect on. Um, I also think that in, in this story circle setting, um, you know, you, you're, in a, you're in a space and you're with people that you know or work with in our experience, but you got to see this other side of everybody and hear these, you know, deep stories that come from inside their body, essentially. And so, it, like Sky was saying, like, this is how we connect to people and I feel like if we're going to heal anything in our bodies and and be better and learn and um you know learn how to how to be anti-racist or how to deal with the racism we were all taught because I mean we're born and bred in this system of it um I think it's really important to sit and just have these truthful conversations with one another um and be vulnerable and embarrassed and you know feel uncomfortable like that's what it's all about. And I think it's really important work and we need to continue and it should be happening more and more. So. Thank you. Um, Arjun or, or David, would, would either of you care to share um, any, uh, you know, I realize David, you, you, you just shared a very powerful <laughs> story in a similar kind of way here. Um, Perhaps um, anybody else who's present has something they, they'd like to share or could speak to the value of um, sharing in that group context and with feedback. Um, I could talk a little bit about that. Um, the, what I shared was a little bit more, um, it, it didn't, I, it, I didn't share anything that was associated with um, uh, a negative experience or a trauma. It was just a realization I had with a, a very good friend I met at the university I attended um, named uh, Karen and just kind of having this realization moment about how some of these things are universal. I always used to think, uh, and although much of what we discuss and focus on is American, it's, it's also a universal issue. Um, of course, you have completely different sets of rules and boundaries and um, and and definitions and but it's it, that it, the experience of being a person of color is a fairly universal one, and it got me to think about a couple of instances I also had in university, which kind of made me realize oh, things are, are different than what I think. Because as somebody who is from uh, a tribal or a native community, it's almost like you're, you grow up and you learn, oh yeah, um, white people have bias, just in general, just by the very nature of, um, you know, not having territorial control, um, at just or not having access to your traditional resources. Um, uh, but regardless of that, that doesn't mean that the people are bad. It means that system is bad. And so I was focused on 
just that as a given how it's yeah it's there's systematic stuff but i wasn't so worried about the interactions then in my university i i was in um, canada and i originally wanted to study linguistic anthropology and so i enrolled in an anthropological program and got to meet and study under a fairly well-regarded archaeologist in western canada and it was so funny because in one of his um, second year courses, that's when I first met him, he would talk about um, kind of the prehistory of the Western continent and was uh, explaining about some of the different cultural groups um, in the Northwest. And when he got to cultural groups of people where I'm from and part of, he was mispronouncing some of the names. And I thought, oh, well, I'll just go ahead and tell him, it's like, oh, he's saying that wrong. But he didn't believe me. <laughs> it was like, it was like, oh, no, I'm, he said, you know, I, I think that they would pronounce it this way or, or whatever. I can't even remember what it was. But I just remember hearing that. And I was like, oh, so he either thought I was white or just didn't care. But irregardless of that, it was a big closed door. And so that was the biggest moment and realization that I had that kind of eventually steered me away from that whole um, school of learning. Um, but that was the most important one because I realized there's a lot of closed doors. And when people don't listen and you aren't allowed to advocate for yourself, that's, uh, that's not conducive to learning or breaking barriers. And and so I really do think it is important to to kind of share stories and just keep those doors open. And, and that's what that kind of reminded me of. Thank you for sharing that. Any comments or questions from others listening? Well, Asia, can I um, share sort of an aha moment that Skywalker provided from our, from our, Please. Um, yeah. um, she, I don't think I was the one that used this term, but she brought up, um, that um, one of us used the word minorities in our um, initial, um, in our, 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 the thing we filled out. Um, and, and I think this just kind of goes to show that, that um, for me, it was an aha moment because um, there's no reason why I wouldn't have used that term um, and, until she, she um, enlightened me. And, you know, I, I, again, we all grew up in these bubbles and I grew up in a certain bubble and I um, grew up where there are these terms that you use to describe um, populations. Um, and minority was one of those terms. And she um, pointed out that that is a um, vocabulary that feeds a, a paradigm, um, sort of this systemic uh, paradigm. Um, and, um, if there's a minority, then there has to be a majority. If there's a, a lesser, then there's a greater. And um, that um, it's even within these these words that we all take for granted that um, we need to second second guess. And um, it, it, that was an aha moment for me. And I think those are the moments you know I can look back on my experiences. 
Um, and I look back on these aha moments where I, where I'm taken out of my, my little, um, blinders, my, my little world and, um, see things a little bit more clearly. So that was, that was a, a um, a learning experience for me. Yeah. During that. Thank you for sharing that. The, the last question that I have that I kind of want to move around um, the circle with is moving forward. Where are you standing now in terms of self-study? What are you reading or what are you talking about um, beyond, you know, this? And, you know, it's very much appreciated each presence, each of your presence in this conversation today. But what are you reading or reflecting on that you might want to share with the group? And if we could start with you, David, and just move around again, that would be great. I'd like to conclude with Sky. Yeah. Um, so I... Um, I guess kind of going back to the roles that, that we play, I, um, I believe fully, I, I was, I'm heavily invested in the crisis of the environment and that there is um, um, such thing as, as climate justice. And I've come to realize um, through, uh, through, my own experience and, and, and research that climate justice and racial justice <clears throat> are not separate um, at all. And um, that um, one of my roles is to, to take a back seat, um, not take a back seat, but, but to, to shut my mouth a little bit more than I'm, than I'm used to and, and to listen to other people and to um, help um, sort of, um, promote the voices of, of those with different experiences. Um, and so lately I've, you know, I, I did my show at Bunnell and, and I kind of felt at, at the end of this, this series on um, climate change in, in Ketchumuk Bay that I was another person screaming at the top of my lungs saying, pay attention to this, this is important, this is important. And, um, with coming to the realization that these two issues are not separate, that they are in fact together, that, um, uh, and I could come up with, with, with reasons why they're not, not separate, but the um, BLM movement right now and, and what's going on is sort of this potential tidal wave with momentum. And I think um, I've, I've, I'm painting plein air, I'm doing landscapes and I'm refocusing my voice on promoting this this tidal wave um, as best I can. Um, so I think that's where I am. And I, I think also um, just really quick, uh, kind of what Argent was saying, institutions, organizations, we all we all need to do better. We all can do better. And it's it takes a lot of effort to step outside of our paradigms. Um, but we need to right now. Um, I think we all agree that that Benel um, need Benel's doing a great job, but Benel needs more diversity on the board. Um, we need um, we need help from uh, people of color to 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 kind of help us move forward in the in um, the best direction. And you know even considering bringing people on staff who can give that voice. I think, I think we need to start um, 
we all need to look inward in, in all the institutions that we're involved in, in our, our own lives, with our family, and um, do the hard work, uh, even if things seem, seem pretty good for us right now, even if we're able to, to put food on the dinner table, we, we need to start getting uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, oh, I just, thank you. Please continue, Brianna Lee. I, I, know I, I was, yeah, I was, much. I was just going to chime in and, and just say, I, I really agree with what David is saying, um, you know, about asking for, you know, we do need more at Benel and we do need um, to ask other people to come in and, and either hire them or um, yeah. Um, and do that work with us. Um, I um, I just lost my train of thought. I, I guess what I'm also doing right now, um, not only for myself, you know, reading, uh, of course, like I, I'm spending a lot of time um, going back and reading about the, um, the history of the civil rights movement, the history of our country and learning about, um, you know, I now live in Homer and learning about, really learning about the work we're doing at Benel with um, um, indigenous land and, and the history of this area. I mean, there's so much that I'm so, I feel so far behind on. And so I'm just trying to do my best to really um, understand where I am in this world and the things that have happened before I came here and so that I can be, um, you know, empathetic and sensitive and just understand and connect to more people in my community. Um, I'm very much invested in uh, a man's work right now called, Rez his name is Rezma Menachem, and he wrote a book called uh, My Grandmother's Hands. And it's all about um, racialized trauma and how, you know, he's, he's a trauma specialist and he um, studied epigenetics. So it's passing that trauma down through our bodies and, and how it's passed along. And, and his work is just, I, I just find it very, um, I understand it. It, it. I'm such a empathetic person. I have a lot of feelings and sometimes I get in the way of how I um, can express myself. And so I just really am, am finding his work to be extremely helpful. And then I'm also doing more work on um, how to teach kids about racism um, and this book, raising white kids. <laughs> I highly recommend it for white parents raising white kids. There's so much good information in here. And yeah, that's kind of what I have to share. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Arjun, is there anything you'd like to add? Yes, um, I wanted to add it's I think it's wonderful that David and Brianna brought up all these tie ins with these other um, conversations happening about the environment and indigenous issues and, and social reform because um, one of the phrases I hear a lot and is used a lot in like the work, workshops that we have is there's work we need to do and work that has to be done and part of that work is um, not just listening but it's acceptance it's the acceptance of people's own truth and their version of the truth and and maybe not necessarily meeting them halfway but to at least allow for that to exist and and also to accept that 
you shouldn't expect anyone's truth to be um, to illustrate a narrative. Like my truth shouldn't be indicative of what uh, what our important issues are to me. Um, and we need to allow for that. And we have to accept that it's okay for people to disagree. Um, it's okay for me to, to look at anybody here and say, no, I don't agree with that. It's okay for me to tell Skywalker, I, maybe I didn't enjoy that so much. But, and if we, if we can all come to that place where we're comfortable, where we can work through our agreements and disagreements um, uh, earnestly without them being uh, burdened by our preconceived notions, that is what is so important. And I, I think acceptance of the truth is very valuable. And I'm not particularly reading anything at the moment. Um, I have done a whole, academia's worth of of reading on sociology and and ethnic relations and and so for me it's like oh my god but if there's a wonderful author i'd like to recommend who takes more of a fictional approach anything by uh, chimamanda ngozi adichie is wonderful she is a terrific writer i like her very much and so anything that she has to share um, can you say that name again arjun Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. She's a Nigerian-American writer. She's been on. She's a great speaker, too. I like her. I haven't actually yes. read her books. I'm not really a big fiction writer, but she's a great speaker. And yes. she is bold. She's really bold. Yeah. She was, I, I don't know, because I saw a lot about her, like, last summer, a few months ago. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Arjun. Sky, I'm going to let you close with just a couple minutes reflections and wrapping up this conversation that we've been so privileged to share with you all today. Well, thank you for inviting me for this conversation. It was good to see everyone. And everyone has good ideas. One thing I want to say, though, about Black people and what is most traumatic is people thinking we're different. We're not. Now, when I went to college, I went to college in Columbia, Missouri. At that time, it was an all-girls college. I had grown up with white people and black people all my life because my father was in the Air Force. But when I got to Missouri, I met people who had never known a black person except as a domestic or at all, and black girls who had never on to school or known white people. And I didn't fit in either group. So <laughs> this is the thing. <sighs> and this is, goes back to before slavery. There have always been free black people in this country. And the problem is people thinking we're different. We're not. We, especially those of us who've been here a long time. So that's the first thing for people to get over and to know. You think some, we are very, we can feel it. And you can too if somebody thinks you're different. And that's even, you know, it's like, it's nothing to just get to know someone as a person. The skin color, and as kids, they don't know any difference. 
And the book that I'm reading in the stamp course, it'll be really class. It would be good because what this author is talking about is racist ideas. And that's what we need to look at and be able to explain them, understand them, and get rid of them. And he has a simple definition that a racist idea is anything that, as someone said, is a measurement against a person being better or worse based on their race. Real simple. There's lots of people who get into all the big language and all the, everything. The solution is right now talking to people and really wanting to do the work. And having the courage to draw the line with those people who don't want to do the work and don't have empathy or concern and want to, and or who promote racist ideas. And there's a lot of unconscious racism going on in Homer. <laughs> a lot of people who think they're the most liberal people in the world. And then there's a lot of very obvious, we don't care about anybody about ourselves. This is in this little town. And it's, I, you know, and I never expect, well, <laughs> My goal is to, for Homer to start bringing black people here. My goal is to see people say, you start reaching to the middle-class black people and to the um, organizations, David, that are bringing black children and teens into the environment. This is a beautiful place. And the only black people, young people who come here every year have been working at Safeway. They didn't come this year. And I would talk to the young people who come from Jamaica. That was good. But this is a beautiful place. And the, there's never, there hasn't been any outreach by any business to black businesses. I mean, black tourists, black groups. That's what I'm talking about. White communities have to reach out to bring people and make them feel welcome. And that's with all these small towns in America. So I'm excited. I thank you for inviting me. I look forward to continuing the discussions. You'll be, anyone who's interested, um, they can get in touch me, touch with me through, um, I guess the best thing is Skywalker at VibrantVelvetVoice.net or the link to the webpage, which I'm assuming you'll have on the, on the post. <laughs> so thank you. thank you. Thank you so much, everybody. I just want to thank you for um, your time and your openness and your honesty and your courage today as we continue to do this work together. Thank you. Thank you so much, thank Skywalker. Yeah. yeah, thank, thank you. you thank you. Thank you for coming, everyone. Thank you all. Thank you. All right. Take care. Keep okay. doing the good work. Bye-bye. Okay.